You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, villagers. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday, you guys. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I know that your schedules are really busy and you have a lot of things to do. So thanks. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to give some of that to me. I really do appreciate it. It does not go unnoticed. I know it is not light. I really, really appreciate it. I'm very excited for today's episode. You're listening to episode number 57 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. And today we're diving into copper toxicity. So this Tuesday episode comes about a little bit differently than the rest. So generally, the rest are either topics that y'all have requested or that I know a lot of women need information on or maybe it's a subject that is a little bit taboo and not a lot of people talk about it or, you know, information is hard to find or it's a subject that I'm interested in Or maybe it's a subject that I see a lot in my practice. So this particular Tuesday comes to us because it is something that directly impacts my life. And so when I came across this, obviously it impacted my life. And so I decided to look into it. And then I understood that it could impact y'all's lives in that you might be sitting on the other end of this conversation thinking, holy cow, this is me. I need to tune in. So today's episode is all about the copper IUD. So I have the copper IUD. I have the pair guard and I have had it for about a year. Now I have a horror story of how It was put in the first time. I did have to have it taken out and then re-put in, but I think that that was the practitioner's fault. I think that was the OBGYN's fault and has nothing to do necessarily with the IUD itself. So when I found out about copper toxicity and that it was possibly caused by this IUD, I looked into it and I love my IUD. I've recently started to have funky things kind of happen and I'm wondering if it is the IUD or maybe it's just my psyche that's messing with me now that I know these things are possible. Either way, I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys because I think some of you are going to really have your ears perked up because I think some of this is going to be really interesting really interesting to you and then I think some of you are going to have your ears perked up because you're going to find that this is applicable to you and your situation and your body and your life. So without further ado, I am super excited to introduce to you 
Kirby Costa Campos. She experienced copper toxicity and it impacted her life in such a negative way that she has now healed and made it her life's mission to educate herself and the medical field and our community about copper toxicity and the possibility that the copper IUD may be responsible for some of this discovery. Since this is relatively new, or at least it's just now getting eyes on it, it's very challenging to find a variety of practitioners and experts that have deep knowledge about copper toxicity. So other than a very few number of OBGYNs, it was very, very hard to find someone. So I thought the next best thing would be to have someone who had walked in the shoes, who had experienced it. That's when I reached out to Kirby. I'm very excited for you guys to hear what it was like to live a life of complete out-of-controlness. Kirby felt like her body was not hers. Kirby's here today to not only share her story of copper toxicity, but also to educate us on what it looks like, how we can prevent it, and what to do if you have copper toxicity or you think you might be experiencing it because of an IUD that you currently have. Okay, are you guys ready? Let's dive in. Kirby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we jump in, can you tell us a little bit about how you got dunked into this copper toxicity tank? I know um, you probably have a very interesting story, and I'm really eager for all of our listeners to hear it. Yeah, sure. So I really have been dealing with copper toxicity for my entire life, even though it wasn't the last couple of years until I'd actually learned what I had been struggling with. I had been ill on and off for many, many years, and I had lots of different diagnoses, um, everything from epilepsy to lupus to Sjogren's syndrome to bipolar syndrome. There, there were so many different things that various doctors had um, said I had and had also tried to treat me for, but it seemed like nothing ever really worked was the, was the thing. And I would start on some healing plan or protocol and I'd feel good for a month or two and then would crash and a bunch of new symptoms would pop up. And it was because I wasn't being treated for the underlying cause of the illness. I was being treated for the symptoms of copper toxicity versus being treated for the actual toxicity. And it wasn't until I was 31 years old that I actually discovered what was really going on with me. So I, after having moved from New York to LA to get, to get treated by some of the best rheumatologists in, in the US um, for my then called lupus, I ended up moving to the UK with my husband. And after I had had an IUD put in after I'd had my daughter, which had been five years previously, and my health just seemed to be deteriorating since then. Like it just went downhill and I just, I seemed to be getting worse and worse. And I started to realize after a while, I started tracking, tracking my system, my um, cycle. And I realized that my health was matching my cycle and it was going kind of in that kind of circular motion where I would improve and then deteriorate and improve through, through the span of um, four to six weeks. And it got to the point where I started to pinpoint the day and the week that I would start to have the in emotional instability. 
And I would almost always break up with my husband that week or we'd have some big, huge blowout fight. And it was just, it was killing our relationship. So when one particularly bad month, I just got so frustrated with it. I went down to my local walk-in health clinic and I said, like, I want some pills that suppress my system. I, I don't want to have the my cycle anymore. I don't want to have my period. I don't want to deal with this. I just want it gone. And um, it was an incredible NHS gynecologist that actually said, she was like, listen, I will give you the pills that you want. I'll give you the prescription. You can go pick them up. But I want to share with you what, what I'm seeing in my clinic. And that's that women are coming in with the copper IUD with the same issues and the same complaints that you're having right now. And I take the IUD out and those symptoms go away. She was like, I can't explain to you. I can't tell you why. All the literature just says that it's safe. But this is what I'm seeing with my patients here. And it's incredible that she did this because that really was the first step. And this woman is, she, she was an angel to me in a lot of ways because it was from there that I went on to research and I went down the rabbit hole of figuring out what copper toxicity was and finding the hundreds of thousands of other women online that were having the same issues as me. And then I got in touch that next day, I got, actually got in touch with um, the number one specialist for to copper toxicity in the US, Dr. Malter. And we had a conversation where he went through my medical history from when I was born up through um, my adulthood. And it was like, everything finally made sense. Um, every single thing from when I was a child, because I was actually born. And what I went on to discover is that, because copper toxicity is passed through utero to the mother and child, I was born copper toxic. And then I went on, on unbeknownst to me, living the perfect kind of copper toxic life, um, doing everything that you can to bring as much unbioavailable copper into your body. Um, I was born in a toxic metal zone in Germany. And my, my baby bottles were actually made with the water that is now it's, it's known to be toxic and people do not use that water any longer. Um, I was a vegan and vegetarian for 18 years, most of my young life, I, which is extremely high in copper and low in zinc diet. And I went on to drink um, when I was growing up, the house I grew up in in upstate New York, it actually had copper pipings. And I was, I drank a lot of water as a young child because thirst is one of the side effects of the illness. Um, yeah, it's, it was incredible how perfectly I lived a copper toxic life up until my 30s unintentionally. <laughs> so now I know that um, what was causing my symptoms and I set out on a healing journey after discovering this. That is so wild. I am so sorry that that's your story. However, I can totally hear the um, determination in your voice that you want to educate others, like be an advocate. And I, for one, admire that so much. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, the thing about copper toxicity is that it's a preventable illness. Um, it is become, it's growing to become an epidemic within our, our society right now. It's actually estimated with, because of hormonal birth control and because of the low levels of zinc um, within our food supply right now, because of industrialization and um, the thousands of years of farming, we've depleted the, that, those mineral sources in our food. It's estimated that 80% of women are actually going to have some sort of copper imbalance within their lifetime. So it, it is becoming a growing epidemic and because we're passing it through utero to our children and um, it's just growing and growing with every year and becoming a 
bigger issue. So since getting sick and, and realizing like, this is something that we can cure. This is something that we don't need to be dealing with. Um, it, it's not an issue that that is like, you know, it's not a virus. It's something that's preventable that can, that can be handled and eradicated. And I've, I've really dedicated my life to trying to rid, rid our population of this illness now. That's super inspiring. So can you give us a, a rundown on the stats? So like how many people have IUDs and what are the most popular ones and what's the effectiveness and how long do they last? What are the things that we need to know going into this conversation? So right now we're looking at, it's estimated about 170 million women have some sort of IUD implant currently. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm interested to know because the numbers really don't line up. Um, in Actually, in China, between the 1980s to about 212, there were about 308 million women that were forced to get a copper IUD, um, not a copper IUD, but an IUD loop, it was called. So it was a round. It was a, a different... Um, form of, of, of IUD that we don't actually have on, on this side of, of the world that was made to be purposefully um, not easy to pull out because it was trial, they were trying to enforce the one child law that they had when, um, through the, that time in the communist period in China. So um, yeah, I don't know if the numbers of 170 million include China or not because I would assume that that population would bring that number f further up. Uh, there's two different types of IUDs that we're dealing with. There is the copper IUD, and then there is the hormonal birth control IUD. And there are multiple types of both um, through the years. There's been different companies that have produced different versions, and they've, they've obviously they've changed and, and developed over the years. Um, one of the misconceptions about copper toxicity is that you have to have the copper IUD in order to be at risk, when actually... Any form of hormonal birth control that you are putting in your body is potentially going to give you a copper issue because of the way that copper interacts within your body and the sensitive balance that we have of minerals. So if you think about it, we're, like, we're made up of water and minerals. That, that is our body made up <laughs> um, when we get down to a cellular level. And copper and estrogen, they work the same way in the body. So whenever you use some, something that is estrogen Latin, like, like birth control, it is potentially going to throw off that balance. It's, it could potentially deplete your zinc and magnesium levels. And because zinc is the main antagonist to copper, if that estrogen is throwing down your zinc levels, your bioavailable copper is going to rise in your body and you can become toxic. Um, one of the things that people don't know very often, and they start to learn when they study this illness, is there's actually two different types of copper. So you have bioavailable copper, which is what is in our food. Every living thing needs that. So plants, any living microorganism micro needs that to live. Plants, animals, us. We need a certain amount of copper in order to be thriving and to be healthy and to be balanced. The problems start to arise either when you have too much of that bioavailable copper or you have something that's called unbioavailable copper. And this is the kind of copper that is released from an IUD. It is the kind of copper that you get when you drink water from copper piping. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the kind that we find in the in natural environment and all the toxins that we take, that we absorb into our body. So unbioavailable copper, it's the same mineral 
as bioavailable. But the difference is, is it doesn't have two proteins attached to it that we need to be able to absorb it. So when it gets to the body, or let's say it's released by an IUD, I like to describe it as, you know, you know, the Hulk, the like comic book character. It's like these little tiny hulks are being released in our body and becoming free radicals and just destroying every single thing that they can can touch. So um, this is what leads to inflammation. This is why there's a link between copper toxicity and cancer. Um, this is why we see a lot of people with copper toxicity have issues with their thyroid and their adrenal glands because it's actually the, the glands are actually being destroyed by this free floating radical. And this is why um, it gets stored because it gets into the body. So first it will go into the liver when it overpopulates the liver and, and everybody, everybody's body stores it in different ways, but the normal kind of progression is it goes into the liver and it goes into the soft tissues. So the tissues between the joints, this is why we see a lot of people with joint issues, um, fibromyalgia, um, like symptoms with the toxicity. And then it will start to store into the brain, which will affect the pathways and the neurotransmitters, which is why we see a lot of mental illness um, symptoms with, with copper toxicity. So the interesting thing about it, though, is you can actually be copper toxic and copper deficient at the same time, which is why this, this illness is so hard to diagnose, because you could have too much of that unbioavailable Hulk-like destructive copper going around in your body that throws off your mineral imbalances and makes it so that you don't absorb the bioavailable, which is one of the main reasons that it's so hard to diagnose and cure this illness. There's a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on forever. <laughs> I just need to take a breath every now and then. <laughs> There's so much information. This is fascinating. Okay, so to lay the foundations, um, what are the different types of IUDs? So you, you already mentioned um, the hormonal and the copper. Um, mm -hmm. Are there more? What do we need to know about each of these um, which each of these options and how our bodies should react on a, like a typical, even though that's a dumb thing to say, like everyone's body is different, obviously, but what should we expect? One of the things that I, I want to stress to women who are on uh, the IUD and also on the pill too, any sort of hormonal or even the injection, any sort of hormonal based or, or copper based birth control, it's not a matter of if it's going to harm your body. It's a matter of when. So you can be balanced on the, on the hormones that are coming into your body, but it is a long-term damage that you're going to look at that is going to be more concerning. So when you come off of that birth control, what is that doing to your levels? How is the estrogen and the progesterone going to be reacting in your body when it doesn't have that support system? Um, what are you doing to your organs? What are you doing to your adrenal glands through that time period? Um, how is it affecting, again, like I was talking about the copper being stored um, in, in your brain, like what toxicity is being stored and building up, you might not have the symptoms of it at that time, but what are you starting to, to absorb and keep in your body that should not be there? So I really, I really, really try to stress this when it comes, because th there is that conversation of, well, not everybody has an issue with the copper ID. And it's like, yeah, but how many symptoms do you have that you, you think you are allergic to gluten, as an example? 
you can't eat gluten. There are a lot of times people who have a copper imbalance will actually have a, a lot of false allergies. So they'll have allergies that suddenly they never had before. And they just think, oh, you know, my body has changed or I can't eat this thing or I have this intolerance. When in actuality, it's the inflammation and the imbalance that is causing that. And you don't, a lot of times what we see is people who are copper toxic. Once they detox and get it out of their body, they won't have allergies anymore. So personally, I had crazy allergies when I was copper toxic. I had, um, I couldn't eat any kind of gluten. Um, I would have crazy reactions. If I, I had a sweat allergy where if I went running, I would break out in hives head to toe. Um, I was like kind of allergic to my own sweat and ad adrenaline in a lot of ways. Um, all of that's resolved itself. And I see a lot of people who think they have like a super restrictive diet who will go on and be able to eat things and don't have as many issues. They don't have hay fever anymore after they, after they detox off the copper. So I, I like to think like, you might not be having the direct symptoms, or you, but what else is going on in your life that you are changing or have lifestyle changes or you're taking even sometimes medication for that can be a symptom of an underlying cause? Um, you, if you are putting hormones into your body, you are imbalanced. Like, and your body is fighting day to day to rebalance itself and to become that, – that is, you know, we, we're an organism that – always wants to be in a state of balance and our body is going to be fighting for that. And so when you're bringing stuff in that shouldn't be there, you're going to have the effects one way or another. That is definitely a very good reminder of, um, you know, what to consider when you are looking into birth control options. Um, so let's talk about copper in terms of what we need on a daily basis, because copper is essential to living. You've already said, um, you know, we need it. Every living organism needs it. 1.5 to 3 milligrams of copper each day. Um, is, that, is that what you know? Is that what you recommend? And how easy is that to get through your food? So like almonds, lentils, sunflower seeds, avocados, dark chocolate, coffee, those are things that I eat regularly that should have um, copper in them, right? Yeah, so it, it really depends on your body's ability to detox. And also, keep in mind, there's the two different types of copper. So if you are copper toxic in any way with that unbioavailable, that bad copper. If you ingest any of that bioavailable copper, your body is going to freak out. It's going to say, no, I don't, I don't need any more of this. This is, you know, because it, it can't necessarily differentiate between the two different types of copper. So for a copper toxic person, I, I personally, and the different practitioners when it comes to protocols and healing protocols, I, I recommend that people who are toxic completely avoid copper until they get through their detox and then slowly introduce low levels back. Um, to give you an idea of um, copper and the amount that it's in our food, one small square of dark chocolate has more than our daily need of copper in it. So, and also like if you are copper toxic, as little as five milligrams of copper can really push you over the, over the edge. And it is, it is in so many foods. And not only is it in so many foods, it's in all the good foods. Like you're saying, it's in avocados, it's in chocolate, it's in coffee. It's all those kind of things that we crave as women. And a lot of times, this is why we have chocolate cravings. The body, interestingly enough, will crave things um, that, it's, that it's becoming reliant on. So things like coffee, or chocolate, they give us a rush of energy, right? 
when you have a toxicity in your body that is slowing down your system and potentially slowing down your adrenal glands, you can become really dependent on these stimulant-like um, substances. So ironically, a lot of times when women are copper toxic, they are starting, they will crave and become dependent on these types of, these types of foods. Um, now, if your body is not toxic, you don't have high levels or any copper, the bad Hulk-like copper stored in your body variously, the body can naturally detox. Your liver will be able to remove if you do have, you know, if you go on a chocolate, coffee, and avocado like spree and fall into a pile of it for four days straight. If your body can naturally detox and doesn't have any imbalances, then it, it will remove it. The main component of that though, is that you need to have enough zinc in your diet. So if you are eating a high copper diet, but low zinc, because zinc and copper are antagonists for each other. And every single mineral in our body has an antagonist that that will if you have one it will throw the other off if you don't have enough and, and things so if you you could you could also be eating and get copper toxic you could be eating a too low of a zinc diet and then the body gets overwhelmed because the hot the copper has nothing to mobilize it has nothing to move it out so it works in both ways you could be eating too high with too low zinc and then you could just be eating too low zinc and be eating normal levels of copper but it would become toxic and this is what we often see with um, with vegan vegan and vegetarian diets. So um, I think people are starting to think that I'm like anti-vegan. I am not anti-vegan whatsoever. I was I was vegan for almost 18 years myself. Um, the issue was though that I was not getting enough zinc, and it is possible when you're copper toxic to heal on a vegetarian or a vegan diet. You can do it. But what I've seen with my clients is that. It, it will prolong the process because you need that vital zinc and you need high level of that whole food zinc combined with the nutritional supplementation of zinc in order to remove those stores and to actually mobilize the copper in your body. So um, a lot of times it's it, a process that should take maybe six months to a year can take upward of three years if a people, people are really dedicated to doing it in a vegetarian and vegan way. And that kind of gives you an example to ask of like how your diet is affected and how much copper we need. It's, it's such a sensitive um, balance. Oh my goodness. Did anybody out there um, picture yourself doing a recent coffee, chocolate, avocado binge and think what in the world? Cause that was totally me. So when you say foods, um, that are high in zinc, what are your suggestions of the best foods um, to like easily incorporate into your diet, like as a mom? Um, I get meat and eggs. <laughs> Those are the two kind of like go-tos. Um, it's really hard when you are on a low copper, high zinc diet because there it is, there are so many random foods. So Meat and eggs are kind of really the highest, um, highest zinc food that you can ingest. Um, it's, it's really difficult to do a low copper, high zinc diet. I mean, personally, I've had to do it. My daughter's had to do it. I work with clients to do it. It's very, very restrictive. And copper is in a lot of stuff. It's um, beans and legumes, they're high in copper. Nuts and seeds are high in copper. So pretty much all alternative um, protein sources, soy is high in copper. All, all meat alternative protein sources are pretty much high in copper. So it's very difficult to eat low copper, but high zinc. Um, 
I guess eggs really is the go-to if you're not into the meat. It's just so many eggs. We have eaten so many eggs over the past two years, my daughter and I. It's like eggs have become such a huge part of, of our existence and our well-being. Um, and it's it really is interesting because so early on on my journey, I when I was eating low um, eating when I was eating low copper, high zinc. I remember I knew that chocolate was like a no-no, you know, I knew this, I, I paid attention. I had my little copper list and I was following everything, but like any woman I'm on, when I'm PMSing, I want a chocolate and my husband made the mistake of bringing home. And it was so sweet because he like researched the lowest, you know, he's paying attention. This is at the time when he didn't really understand the illness as well as we do now. And he like researched all of the chocolate bars and like found the lowest one in sugar and like the highest like cacao like percentage he could get me because he thought it was like super healthy and everything. And he brought this chocolate bar home and I was just like, yay, chocolate. And I ate the entire thing. And I mean, it was like, not when it was like little tiny, like single serving, it was like a full chocolate bar. And then I got so sick for the next like week. And I was like, what, what the heck just happened to me? Why, why do I feel so ill? Like, okay, I had some chocolate. I know it's like, it's high in copper, but like actually how high is it? And that's when I found out that like one little piece of dark, dark, high quality chocolate is more than our day's intake of copper. So I literally had through my detox, even though I'd gotten my copper levels so low, I had just like ingested kind of like the equivalent of like a cup of, of copper. Um, yeah, that was, that was not fun. <laughs> I learned my lesson on that one. And now we, we avoid chocolate at all costs. Um, and the thing about the toxicity is you go, so there's three stages when you have, um, when you have this illness. So one of the really scary things about it that clients always come to me with kind of worried, worried about is that it actually takes two to three years to fully heal from this illness. Um, and there's three stages that I like to break it into. So you have the stage, which I spent 30 years of my life in, where you have the actual copper toxicity symptoms. Then you have when you go into your detox and the, the difficult thing about, about the healing yourself of this illness is that the detox symptoms are actually worse than the actual illness. It, it can be a lot of people get discouraged. A lot of people um, don't, don't continue with, with the detox or healing themselves or have to like, they'll start it and stop it about 10 to 15 times before they get fully through because of the psychological and the physical effects of the detox on the body. And then I have what I call healing symptoms, which is after the metal is out, your organs in your body and your body has to rebuild itself and you have to get that vitality back that you lost through the illness because it's really destructive when the metal comes out of your body. So there's like, I break it down into three different sections. And when I ate that piece of chocolate, like I should have known better. <laughs> it was way past the, the stage of, of not knowing any better. Wow. Okay. So what would someone be looking out for if they might have a copper allergy or might be having a reaction to a copper IUD? So there, there's various symptoms. Now, I want to make sure um, we, we make it clear. There is something called Wilson's disease, which is actually hereditary. It's an, in a, um, 
hereditary illness that you can have where you cannot properly process um, copper. You cannot remove it from your body because you're missing the particular genes to do so. That is something very different. A lot of times people with Wilson's disease will actually get diagnosed with that at a very young age. And that is a life-threatening illness. Um, not to say that copper toxicity isn't actually, but it is something very different than if you are imbalanced and you have a copper imbalance. Those are two very, very different things. Um, my work is solely focused on the toxicity that comes in an imbalance, not with a genetic disorder. Uh, if you are thinking that you are copper toxic, and, and the toxicity can come from birth control, but it can come from other things in life too. So another reason, and one of the reasons that I think think this epidemic is so large, even though we fo focus a lot of the work around um, copper toxicity, around the IUD and the birth control, because that's the most, it's the clearest link and the clearest um, set of data that we have and the clearest kind of, I guess, pool of people that can be helped. Copper toxicity can actually happen from trauma and stress too. You can get in balance. What happens is, um, and this is, it's called the copper toxic circle. So you have, let's say you have something traumatic that happens to you. You have a trauma, it might be a life event, it, it, it's something external that happens to you. Um, let's say it happens in your teenage years, just, just for the sake of you know, using the example. When you go through trauma and you have that rush of adrenaline in your body, it actually lowers your magnesium and zinc levels. And with that, the copper levels rise. After serious trauma, um, we see things, you know, like post-traumatic stress disorder that develops and, and that's where your adrenal glands are starting to run out of control. Um, you have issues with, with phobia and things like that that start to develop after severe trauma. One of the things that happens, though, is that when you have a traumatic event, what's the, the most clear thing, especially in the States, is you go and you get psychiatric help. That's the, the best. And I am a huge component for talk therapy. I'm a huge huge person for therapy. But I feel like we're missing the mark on that because what's also happening is a physical effect. So those magnesium zinc levels go up, go down, the copper levels rise, there's an imbalance in your body. That, and if left untreated, it can turn into a, a cycle, which a lot of times we see as post-traumatic stress, where you go through, so you, you, you have the traumatic event, those levels get all messed up. It actually affects your blood sugar levels. So you start to crave things like sugar and cakes and things of that sort. You become hypoglycemic. When you, you reward your body, you eat that. You stress eat and you eat those bad foods that are high in insulin. It peaks your insulin, which then sends you back into the stress cycle, lowers that zinc, lowers that magnesium, peaks that copper, and you continue the whole thing over again and over again and over again. This is why I'm a big believer that we have to treat the whole being, both emotionally through therapy and then also physically through what's happening and the effects that trauma has on the body. And I have got so lost into like talking about the stress. Oh, symptoms. We were talking about symptoms. Sorry. <laughs> So I just wanted to make it clear that even though we're talking a lot about birth control, it's not always birth control that can get you into this copper toxic loop or give you this illness. It's actually trauma events that can hap happen in younger life that where the whole being hasn't been treated, just, just the, the mental side, not the physical side. Um, symptoms of copper toxicity, though, um, th there's many. The most that I see in my practice um, Hair loss is one of them that women get really, really uh, concerned about and often come to me complaining about. Let's see, hair loss, um, 
reproductive issues. So um, um, you can see cysts, you have um, severe, severe PMS problems, emotional swings, um, depression. We see uh, suicidal thoughts if it's, if it's left long enough. We see um, anorexia is actually a symptom that it happens, especially with the younger women that are facing, facing the illness. Um, rashes, allergies, uh, fibromyalgia, fatigue. Um, the mood swings are, the, again, with the hair loss are probably the biggest ones. Um, issues with anger, because what happens when you go into that copper toxic cycle is that you, you can get stuck in fight or flight. And when the levels... So when your, your adrenals get affected and get so beaten up by this illness, they start pushing out so much cortisol into your body that it, it actually makes it. So the pathways in your body. So we have, two, we have two parts in our brain. We've got the front and the back, right? We've got the more logical side, which is the reasoning. And it also deals with like the emotions of love and affection and all these things. And then we have the more primal basic side of our mind. That's the, that holds the fight or flight reaction. So when we see like a lion coming at us, we know that we need to either run or freeze or break down. And this is where we go to when we get overwhelmed, when we have, when we just get where the function, the, like the logical part of our mind just can't deal with it anymore. When you are running on adrenaline nonstop and you're going through that swing of, um, of having, you know, the, the, the insulin peaks, you are actually getting, you actually get stuck in that fight or flight part of your mind. So we see a lot of women who have issues with anger, impulse control, specifically around their cycles. Because when the estrogen peaks right before you get your period, it's, it's double. So you have the copper, the high copper, and you have the estrogen. And that is all pushing the adrenals to work nonstop, and which can lead to uh, adrenal fatigue. So if, if you've had this illness long enough, your adrenals will completely de de be depleted. And this is when we see women that get to just pure exhaustion and their bodies just start to give out. So there's, there's a lot of symptoms, um, both on the physical side and on the emotional side that we can see. And this is why this illness is misdiagnosed so many times. Um, also, you know, the, the swinging with the emotional, the mood swings, we have a lot of women that get diagnosed as bipolar, but it's really pseudo bipolar disorder. It's not, it's not bipolar disorder. It literally is the chemicals in your body that are act, making you act crazy. And I mean, I've been there and I have so many women that come to me that have completely destroyed their lives and destroyed their relationships, just as myself. I mean, my husband left me at the peak of my illness and it was like the hardest time of my life um, because he didn't understand, I didn't understand. And so many relationships get destroyed because the, it's, it's like there's no, you cannot control your reaction. Like when you are in a field and a lion comes running out at you, you cannot control the reaction that your body is gonna have. And that's the state that a, a severe toxicity will continually push you into. That is so fascinating. Okay, so that leads me into my next thought about, you know, if there are any listeners out there that are thinking, oh my gosh, this is me, or I know someone who could possibly have copper toxicity, other than calling your your healthcare provider immediately, what are your first steps that you recommend people do? Is it like an immediate diet change, like right now starting at your next meal, or is it, you know, what what do you suggest? Well, my first advice is not to call your, your health practitioner because they, 95% of the time, the time, do not understand this illness. 
Um, what you want to do is you want to get in touch with a naturopath or a nutritionalist because there is a big problem right now within mainstream medicine. And the big pharmaceutical companies have done a really good job of creating this setup. Um, if you think about it, so to begin with, we live in a patri patriarchal society, right? So to begin with, a lot of things in society are decided upon or handled with a bunch of men in a room, including women's health. Birth control is a multi-billion dollar industry that is just, it's on the rise right now. So after the 2016 election, when um, people were in fear in the US that the um, that birth control was gonna be taken away from them, the option for birth control, Planned Parenthood saw a 900% increase in women asking for IUDs, like 900% a week after the elections. Um, so it, it really is like society affects, affects the decision. So if we were to find out that, you know, the birth control that we're using is actually making us sick, that is going to be a huge financial hit for these companies, giant. Um, interestingly enough, since 2000, there has been over 70,000 lawsuits filed against Marina, the, the hormonal birth control. Um, yet, it's still being put into women. I mean, 70,000 lawsuits, and they're still putting this, this IUD into people. So all the literature and the big pharmaceutical companies have done a very good job of letting all the literature, just like the doctor that diagnosed me said, I don't understand. The literature says that it's all okay and that it doesn't, but here's what I'm seeing in my clinic. So mainstream medicine is following the literature, that that is an issue for us as women. Um, also, interesting little side story that people find amusing. So a few years back, they actually developed a male birth control pill. Have you, did you hear about this at all? Yeah, we did. Yep, I did. Yeah. But it got discontinued within the first year because they couldn't handle the symptoms of which were mood swings, headaches, fatigue, all the issues that we see as women uh, with any sort of birth control, hormonal birth control that we're putting into our body, and they discontinued it. And this is a societal issue that in a lot of ways, our society values a man's, man's health over a woman's for whatever way, um, whether that's because of who's in the boardrooms, you know, disparity with, with women within these fields or, or whatever. Um, it, it's just the way that our society is set up. And it's changing, you know, with the Me Too movement and everything that's happening in the past few years. It's phenomenal to see we're taking the power back. And, you know, it is, there is another shift happening since the, the woman's movement. But that shift has not hit modern medicine yet, yeah, mainstream medicine. Also, um, and this is changing, but for many, many years, it was not a requirement for mainstream MDs and mainstream doctors to learn about nutrition. So without, and being this is a nutritionally based illness, it's very, very difficult to diagnose something if you don't have the knowledge there about why it's making you sick, how it's making you sick. So I don't recommend going directly to, not to say you can't go to your health healthcare practitioner. I went to mine right away and I said, hey, this is, what, this is what's going on, by the way, of why you can diagnose me and help educate them. And they were very receptive and very thankful for, for sharing that knowledge. Um, what I do recommend if you do think that you need to get tested for this illness is either find a naturopath or find a nutritionalist, um, or you can actually get the test online, believe it or not. So 
this is another reason that um, the illness is so underdiagnosed in mainstream medicine is because the, the type of testing that you need in order to get treated, it's blood work doesn't work. So if you think about it, like if you eat a donut before you go and get blood work done, your insulin is going to be, be up there because of all that sugar you just dumped into your blood, bloodstream, right? Blood tests do not show the appropriate mineral levels because it can't show what's stored in your body. It can't show what is hiding within the soft tissues, within the organs. Um, it's good to give you a current reading of where you're at at that moment in time, but it doesn't work when it comes to mineral imbalances. So what you need to get done, it's a hair mineral analysis test, it's called. And what they do is they cut um, hair from the base of your of your scalp, so the, the newest growth, about a teaspoon of it, and then they send that away to the lab. They burn that, and then they're able to see the last three months, they're, they're able to see many things. They're able to see um, how any toxicities you have, any other toxic metals, because you are susceptible to retaining when your liver is not functioning properly, you, you will retain more things like mercury, which is naturally in our food and canned food or, or in you know, fish, things of that sort. Um, it will show your oxidative rate, which is how we process food and how we process toxins that come into our body. Um, the, the tests are fascinating. You, you order this test and it's $50 and you get about a 70 page booklet all about you and where you're at and what's happening in your body. So if you do think you're copper toxic, um, getting that test is super important. That's first half. Second half, having someone read that test who knows about copper toxicity, who knows about CT is really, really important because a lot of times when you are how we were speaking about earlier about being toxic and deficient at the same time, the toxicity can hide on the report. So my report, if you ever, if you look at my, so if you looked at my test results, even when I was at my most toxic, you wouldn't see high levels in, of copper in, in the results because it was actually hidden. It was stored. How they, the, my practitioner had to read that was he had to look at the other, I just said he automatically, look at that Freudian slip, how she had to read, had to read that was um, she had to see that the other, the antagonist and the way the mineral patterns were working, it was actually hiding the toxicity. It was a hidden toxicity. Now, when my daughter got tested at the same time as me, because she doesn't have, she hasn't had it as long as me because she's only eight, it's not stored as harshly in her brain and in the different parts in her body yet. So her toxicity, the copper levels were through the roof and off the chart, like completely off the chart. It went as high as it possibly could go because it was such a young toxicity and such a new toxicity. So it's very important when you do get this testing, not only to get tested, but to get tested by somebody who knows what they're looking for if you think you are ill. Perfect. So this brings me all the way to um, like pregnancy and, you know, postpartum women, people trying to have children. Obviously that's what we're all here for. So what does all this mean for women who have had the copper IUD and are now wanting to get pregnant? What do they need to know? Assuming that their, their copper IUD is already out. Well, first of all, I want to talk about the, 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 the hard, the, the relationship between postpartum depression and CT. There is a theory within the CT community that postpartum depression is copper toxicity and it's just not being diagnosed in the right manner because what happens within your body is when you 
who are pregnant, you actually don't process out any of those, any of those minerals. Everything gets reserved and everything gets stored within the body throughout your pregnancy. So then what happens is when you have your baby and when they're born, if you don't do a proper detox to get those minerals back down, borderline copper toxic before you got pregnant, that's what leads to the psychological effects and the depression and the swings and the hysteria that actually happens. Um, it's, there's a known link and this is, I, I think of all things when it comes to the mainstream versus alternative medicine, there is a known link between copper toxicity and schizophrenia, where if it gets bad enough and it goes on long enough, it will give you schizophrenic tendencies. Um, and th there is a theory among practitioners that postpartum depression is just copper toxicity being undiagnosed and untreated. Um, also something to look out for in that sense, if you think you were copper toxic at all or borderline copper toxic when you were pregnant um if your child is born jaundice so like my daughter was copper toxic she she was born that way and she had severe jaundice when she was born um and that that is one of the symptoms because her little her little liver was trying to work so hard to get the copper out that it made her jaundice um another thing that we often see with copper toxic mothers breastfeeding early they won't um they won't take the milk because there's so much copper coming out of it that the baby starts to reject the milk. Um, so that those are some things to look out for if you do think that you are even borderline or have any kind of issues or lived a lifestyle that could give you a copper imbalance when you are considering to get pregnant or are pregnant or post-pregnancy, it's stuff to look out for. Um, I had all of those issues. Oh, um, preeclampsia also. Preeclampsia is a symptom of copper toxicity. Interestingly enough, when I was pregnant, I had severe preeclampsia because I was copper toxic. And my midwife told me to eat 90 grams of protein a day in order for me to have a home birth to get the preeclampsia under control. She said, that's the way to do it. And you know, what is the, what is the antagonist to copper? It's zinc and 90 grams of protein is a hell of a lot of zinc. So it was just interesting, even though I wasn't, you know, didn't know about CT at that time. It was years until I was going to discover I was sick that my midwife um, and Kara uh, Mulahan actually gave, helped me give birth to, to my daughter. Um, it was Kara that actually, actually said that, um, told me that, you know, it's just interesting that the diagnosis, you know, that the alternative medicine was already on, on it without even knowing what it was. Um, if you now, if you did have your copper IUD taken out, and you are looking to conceive, one of the things that can it is known that women with high estrogen or high progesterone have issues holding on to pregnancy. So making sure that you get those levels tested are super important to avoid miscarriage for sure. Um, you want to get that hair analysis test done. You want to make sure that you are just, you are balanced enough. Um, it is possible. And I do know people who have worked with some of the, the professionals who, um, know how to do these mineral rebalancing programs. They have worked through their pregnancies and had healthy pregnancies. I mean, I've had women who have had such bad postpartum depression that they are terrified to have a second child, like absolutely terrified. And, um, I've known, known some of the practitioners within my community, they've actually helped these women and they've went on to have pleasant experiences and completely by being conscious of the copper issues in their body and being aware of it and, and taking the right nutritional supplementation through and after the pregnancy avoided postpartum depression the second time around. So 
I think if you are trying to conceive going into it, I think it would probably be the best bet is just to get your levels tested. And if there is anything off, getting a practitioner to help you to rebalance and fully prepare your body so then you are less at risk of losing that pregnancy before it even happens. Amazing. So for anyone out there who's looking to get an IUD, what do you say to them? Don't. I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> <laughs> My response to that is, you know, we're not supposed to put foreign items in our body. We're just we're not. And to go as far as putting a toxic substance, you know, in the past five years, so I'm going to, this, this, this is going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but it, it relates. Everyone must just follow me on this. So if you have a sailboat, right? On the bouton of the boat, you have to have a thing called anti-fouling, right? This anti-fouling, it stops because when the boat is in the water, all these, the, the sea life, like grab on and it likes to build and like, and grow on the side of the boat and you'll have all this life growing on the bottom of the boat. So you use anti-fouling paint to prevent that sea life from growing on there because when you're moving your sailboat, it makes it very difficult to move if you've got a lot of stuff stuck on the sides and growing off of it, right? They used to use, up until a few years ago, they used to use copper and prevent it from growing on the side of the boats. Now, the FDA just banned copper paint because it's too detrimental to sea life. So that, that paint was killing sea life and having such an adverse effect uh, on marine life where boats were being parked, that you cannot put it on the bottom of your boat. So um, they, they've actually passed a law in the past few years in the U.S. that you are not allowed to use this copper paint anymore because it's killing sea life. And it's having such an, a, an adverse and detrimental effect on the sea life and the generations that they've seen that it's destroyed so much sea life that they will not let you use this paint. You're not allowed to use this paint anymore. Yet, they are letting us put it up our vaginas. Explain that to me. Explain that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can get, it, it, they're stopping it from killing fish, yet they're putting it into women's bodies. Like that makes absolutely no sense. And it is the same exact compound and the same exact material doing the same exact thing. The reason that a copper IUD works is because it kills a sperm in the same way that it was killing the sea life off the side of the, the boat. And they are proving that it is affecting generations and building up within the sea. So why are our bodies any different? So yeah, it's my advice. Just don't do it. We're not supposed to put this stuff in our body. We are not supposed to. Yes, it is a woman's choice. I am so all about women having choices and that's awesome, but it is hurting us and it is hurting our children and it is hurting the future generations. And this is why the stereotype of like a woman on her period is crazy. Women on their period are not crazy. Periods are not supposed to be painful. This is a natural thing. It's not supposed to hurt. It's not supposed, we're not supposed to bleed for, you know, weeks on end. This is not a normal way that we are supposed to be living as, as females. That stereotype of women being crazy on their period, no. Women are being crazy when they're copper toxic. It's not, it's not PMS. It's, it's actually we are ill and we are being made sick by what we are putting into our own bodies. And it's only getting worse. 
week for all of you listeners out there who, like me, have a copper IUD. I bet you are feeling all the feels right now, and you probably have a lot of thinking to do after this episode. Kirby, I want to circle back really quick to um, prenatal vitamins. So prenatal vitamins have copper in them. What do you? What are your suggestions on that? Oh my gosh, prenatal vitamins made me so sick. I could not take. It was insane. I, you know, I should have known something was wrong at this point, but it still took me five years to figure out what was going on with my body. So I would take a prenatal vitamin and within 10 minutes, I would vomit for like two hours. It was horrendous. I, and I tried for ages to take these things. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of multivitamins and a lot of nutrients actually have too much copper in them. So it's kind of like you can get too much of a good thing situation. So Kirby, if someone was on the lookout for um, maybe a copper allergy or thought that they were having a reaction to their copper IUD, what would they be on the lookout for? What kind of symptoms? Well, I just want to identify that a copper allergy and a copper toxicity are going to be two very different things. So how a copper IUD works in general Pretty much everybody has, I guess you can, I'm not going to say everybody has a straight up copper allergy, but how an actual IUD, copper IUD works is that when it's placed in the uterus, it causes inflammation, which then um, actually blocks the cervix. So it makes the mucus is really, really, really thick. Um, So then the sperm can't actually get through to fertilize the egg. That's one way. And then also the copper ions actually break the tail end off of the sperm. So then it can't go. So it's the IUD functions by inflammation, just in general, that is the actual scientific way that it works. So everybody's body really has a reaction to the the IUD one way or another. And you are carrying around extra inflammation in your body, um, whether you have an allergy to the the copper or you don't. Um, As of looking for a copper toxicity, everybody's symptoms are very different. they're, they're vast, but some of the ones that I see consistently with the women that I work with is um, a, cha- a change in, in personality, so mood swings, issues with anger, upset, um, irritability, hair loss, um, heavy bleeding, lots of cramping and pain in, in, the, um, in, the, in the uterus and kind of just like the PMS symptoms that you have, but a thousand times worse. When people try to ask me what, what copper toxicity is like, that's kind of what I tell them. It's like having PMS, but a thousand times worse every single day. <laughs> um, so if you see a, a shift after you get an IUD, or even after you go through a traumatic event, because again, stress can be the trigger to a copper imbalance also, um, it, you're going to want to just look for those shifts and those changes in, in your body. It also affects your immunity. So if you are starting to get sick more frequently, um, the inflammation can come out in different ways. It can come out in allergies, what actually would be false allergies. So um, you might have reactions to food or things that you've never had, environmental things that you've never had before. Like you might develop hay fever. And that's just because the inflammation is so high in your body. And you could have, you know, could have one of these, or you could have a collection of these symptoms. Wow, that's that's really kind of scary. That's super scary, actually. So if somebody thought that they had copper toxicity, 
first, obviously contact your doctor as soon as possible. Um, you know, side note, you can't take out your own IUD. I did do this research um, when I got my IUD because I had a horrible first experience. Um, but what is your, what's your advice for people who think, holy cow, maybe this is me, maybe I have copper toxicity? I think we, we touched a little bit upon, the, upon, upon this earlier, earlier, but my recommendation is definitely not to go directly to your doctor because they, mainstream medicine doesn't know about this illness well enough. Um, there's various reasons for that. The biggest reason is that up until very recently, and we're seeing a big change in the last five years with this, but doctors were not taught nutrition as part of their core curriculum. Um, they were not required to learn at all about nutrition. And mineral imbalances, it is a nutritionally based problem because we get all of our minerals from our food sources and um, from, from what we're putting into our body. So there is a lack in mainstream medicine of um, issues that tie back to nutrition. Now that's changing nowadays. I mean, you go to the doctor now and you know, you, they will ask you, what is your diet like? What are you eating? You know, if you have an allergy, they'll ask you potentially to cut out dairy or, or some of these things. But that, that is recent. That's very, very recent. That is within the last five to 10 years. So what you want to do is you want to find a naturopath doctor who specializes within nutrition, or you want to go to a nutritionist and both of these uh, practitioners can provide for you the hair mineral analysis test and be able to read it. And I think that's the most important thing is finding somebody who can understand the test, not necessarily give it. You can actually order the test online and do it yourself. What it is, is having somebody that is knowledgeable enough and understands minerals and the patterns that they show in. So if you have a hidden toxicity, sometimes if you have a, a, a heavy metal toxicity that's been with you for so long, it's so deep in your body and buried so deep into your organs, it doesn't actually show as a high um, high marker on, on the charts, but it will show in the patterns. So not necessarily going down and getting yourself to the doctor, unless you think you have something like Wilson's disease, um, that, that is a mainstream, definitely mainstream accepted illness that they have mainstream treatment for. But if you think you're dealing specifically with copper toxicity, then searching out practitioners that have dealt with it before. Um, also, when you're searching for this practitioner, make sure it's somebody and double check this. I had a client that came to me recently that um, it was ridiculous. She went to a naturopath doctor and this, this doctor's treatment plan was to put her on bioavailable copper to try to push out the on bioavailable copper. And this does not work for various reasons and it actually made her really, really sick. Um, and according to him, he had treated people before in this way. Um, so just be, just be really careful with the practitioner and double check, even ask for some, maybe some references if they've dealt with anybody with copper toxicity. And, um, I know a lot of practitioners across the U S and, and otherwise. So if anybody ever needs some like pointing in the right direction to the right people, um, I can, I can offer that. You just drop me an email. That's a really, um, amazing resource for all of our listeners out there. So what does copper toxicity, what's the effect on our adrenal functioning? Um, it is very closely related, the adrenal glands and copper toxicity. So copper is a really conductive metal. And when it gets into your body, it speeds everything up. You start just going on full throttle 
all the time. And what happens is it actually makes the adrenal glands go in overdrive, which then affects everything. It affects our nervous system, it affects our thyroid gland, it affects our mind, it affects every hormone pretty much in our body um, in one way or another. So what will happen is in the early stages of the illness is people will become um, overactive. And I remember when I was in the stage, so I was still in this stage when I got diagnosed and um, the physical effects of it. When I finally, when I actually learned what was happening in my body, remember one day I was sitting um, after I had set out on my healing journey, I was sitting in my friend's restaurant and I had no threat. There was no stress. It was just like, you know, really chilled out, easy day. And I remember sitting there and just looking at, my, my stomach and feeling, and I was timing it. Every three minutes, I was getting a rush of adrenaline. And that's because my adrenals were just overactive and they were just going and going and going. This is where we'll start to see people that will get, um, they will get coffee cravings, anything that gives that burst of energy to help support because the adrenals are working so hard that there's some temporary relief when we have things like caffeine, sugar, processed foods, but it's actually really bad because what we'll do is we'll put those in our body and then we have, um, especially the sugars in the processed foods, it'll put us into a hypoglycemic state, which then puts further stress on the body, which then pushes the adrenal glands to produce more of the stress hormones and it ends up being this cycle that a person can get in where they start craving those sugary processed foods and, and that caffeine to keep them just going. Now what happens eventually, if you're in this state for long enough, you will go into adrenal fatigue. Um, your adrenals will give out. This is when we see people go into the stages where they are just dealing with extreme fatigue. They're having issues getting out of bed. There's a depression. Your system just, it just breaks down. It just can't take it anymore. This is where we start to also see a lot of issues, um, stronger issues with the thyroid at this point. Wow. So I bet this often gets misdiagnosed because it can present in so many like false ways, if you will. Is that right? Oh my gosh. This is why it's turning into an epidemic. And this mm. is also why I don't recommend going to a mainstream doctor mm. because they are going to treat the symptoms and never get to the bottom of the actual source of the illness and what's happening in the body. So in the span of when I was sick, over my lifetime, because I've dealt with this illness for 32 years. I healed last year when I was 32. Yeah, so I healed, I, I dealt with it for 32 years. And in the span of that time, I was told that I had an autoimmune disorder. Um, I was, I had surgery where I had all my tonsils and my glands taking out because they, um, they thought that it was autoimmune related and they, they were super inflamed. I came to find out that was just because that is where some of the, one of the areas that the soft tissue will store the copper. Um, what else did they tell me? Uh, they told me that I was bipolar. They told me that I was epileptic. They told me that I had, um, post uh, traumatic stress disorder. Like the list could go on and on and on of all these diagnoses that I had over the years where I would, and it's really, it's, it's crazy because if you're a type of person like I am, where it's like, you find out you have an issue or something is happening, I dive head in and I'm like, okay. How are we going to fix this? What are we going to do? What do I need to change? And I'm really, really committed to, you know, bettering myself and healing and everything. So every single time I would get a diagnosis, it would just be like this cycle where I would get diagnosed and then I would study up on it, learn everything I can. I would do everything I can. I would feel better for maybe like, you know, a week or two placebo effect. I might be on some medication and then I would crash again and I would burn, burn out. And, um, 
nothing ever seemed to work. And it was because they, the doctors were treating the symptoms and they weren't ever getting to the source of the illness. Now, I had a ton of blood work done in this in in the span of 30 years. I mean, I had endless amounts of blood work. I remember one time because um, I went to one of the best rheumatologists in um, in the in the states actually to try to figure out what was happening. I moved from New York to California to work with this doctor, and um, he. He took so much blood from me at one point that the nurses were worried. They gave me like a piece of cake because they were always going to pass out because I had so, they were looking and they were like, oh my God, you're so tiny and this is so much blood we have to take from you today. And that, that's the thing about CT though. It doesn't show in your bloods because it doesn't store in your blood. You, you cannot rate the level. You cannot... Um, diagnose the level of heavy metals in your body in through the bloods unless it's actually dumping at that point. If you're going through an active copper dump where it's being removed through the liver and through the organs, um, then you can you can get the amount that is coming out at that point. But to get an accurate um, accurate amount that's being stored, you need to actually test the soft tissues where it stores. So it oftentimes gets misdiagnosed because one, they treat the symptoms, and two, they're not testing in the right ways to identify the illness. Wow, that's also crazy. So what does this mean for women who have once had a copper IUD and are now wanting to get pregnant? What do they need to know? Um, they do tie... They do tie high levels of um, copper to infertility and... Um, to actually miscarry miscarriages, so there there is a higher chance, a higher rate of miscarrying if you have high copper levels. Um, I would say, I mean, you know, a mineral analysis test is it just doesn't doesn't just test for the copper. It tests all of tests all of your minerals. And I think when you're wanting to get pregnant and you're wanting to go in to have the healthiest um, pregnancy possible to give your child the best start that you possibly can, you want to make sure that all of those levels are good. You don't want to be deficient in vitamin D because that will cause you know certain issues with your pregnancy or whatever vitamin A, vitamin C. You know, you can be deficient in everything. Also, keep in mind that the that each mineral has its antagonists. So if you are low in one, you're going to be high in another. So I really think um, if you had the IUD specifically, getting your levels checked just to see if you have naturally, just within the diet that you already have, if you've naturally detoxed the copper that you, you um, accumulated when you have the IUD is smart. But I think it's great to get a hair mineral analysis test if you're planning on getting pregnant one way or another, just to get a, a clear bill of health from, from your doctor. That's true. Like you have access to knowing, you know, kind of what's happening in your body. Why not do it? So what about women who um, have had the copper IUD and are currently experiencing this moment of like, oh my goodness, this is me, or this could be me and why I'm having some infertility challenges right now. What do you recommend? Get tested go get tested. Um, the good thing about this though, I think the silver lining in all of this work, and I, this is why I am so passionate about this illness and spreading as much awareness as I possibly can about the adverse effects of the copper IED, is because it's avoidable to begin with. This is not an illness we should be dealing with. It, it is a man-made problem and it's also reversible. You can fix yourself, you can heal. And it really is, I mean, 
if you have to detox, the, the detox is pretty rough um, with copper. Copper dumps are not any fun. Um, the detox is actually worse than the illness itself. So that scares a lot of people. And um, it, it's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and say like, oh, it's easy. You're going to be, you know, no, it's a long and it's a difficult process where you will be dealing with a lot of detox symptoms. And um, it's, it's going to be a reckoning of sorts if you have to go through a, a true CTD detox. Um, but it's all reversible and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And once you do it, you're done. It's out. And unless you have another source, unless you get another copper IUD or, you know, have some extreme source of copper that you're putting into your body, you, you never, you won't have to deal with it again. So it's not like, you know, this is an illness that's a genetic disorder or, you know, something, it's not a life sentence. It's something that's, that's fixable, um, but you need to educate. You need to, and you also need to be open-minded too. think, it's been really surprising for me with, um, cause I have a campaign right now where I'm trying to get 1 million women over the next five years to take their IUDs out, um, commit and pledge to that. And the resistance that I get, even from the people who are closest to me, who saw what I went through and the confusion about so many people have sent me, they'll be like, Oh, well, why are you encouraging everybody to take their IUDs out? Only some people have problems with them. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's not some people. It's not an, an if it's a, it's a when, and it's, it's, it's still affecting their body in, in, in ways, even if they're not showing the symptoms yet. Um, so and they also, they send me a lot of like the, you know, the typical, like if you, if you Google copper IUD, like the Wikipedia or like, you know, the Planned Parenthood page that comes up that says everything is safe and it's good. It's a non-hormonal, like all that stuff. So I think people really need to have an open mind that sometimes the information that is readily available to us for whatever reason, whether it was an intentional um, set up or on, on, you know, whether, whatever the reason is that sometimes that information is not correct and it takes extreme, um, sometimes extreme steps and extreme change and knowledge sharing. And for us to speak up as, as a gender to, to stand up and, um, come together to, for women's health, really, because it is a women's health issue that when we're talking about how IUDs adversely affect a woman's body, um, it's a woman health, woman's health issue at the end of the day. Um, a great documentary just came out last week um, called The Bleeding Edge on Netflix, and it is such a huge step forward for this work because they actually were able, the women um, in the documentary, they influence Bayer just took a form of um, metal coil off the market when, when the documentary came out the week before. Um, and they really, it's because they pressured Bayer so much for all the adverse effects and the women that were actually having to have hysterectomies and were having like really serious issues from it. So this work is starting to, stuff is starting to come into light. Bayer still will not admit to this day that Assure actually is dangerous. They just claimed that it wasn't selling well enough. But I mean, it's not, it's not a coincidence that they pulled it off the market a week before the documentary came out on Netflix. So that was a huge leap for us in this work um, with, with getting safe birth control options for women's bodies. And yeah, I'm really excited to see where it's going to take us in the next five years. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, it's a matter of, of women's health. For me, I also kind of fall down the rabbit hole of like our children. So we don't have any studies or do we on 
is it affecting our children who are being made in the bodies that have had these copper IUDs? Like, is there research behind that? Or are we just kind of playing with the lives of our future generations? Not only that, lots of women get pregnant with their copper IUDs still in their uterus. <laughs> this happens. <laughs> this is a thing. <laughs> so it's not only like women that have had it before, but like still have it and potentially will get pregnant. It's not, it's not a foolproof method. It does fail. Um, from the knowledge that I have, and I have been talking with the top kind of three people that know more, well, the three people that are still alive, that know more about to copper toxicity and the risks with IUDs um, than kind of anyone else in the world at this point. From the research that I have been able to get access to, um, there, no, I don't think there are any studies about the children. But not only that, there are no human studies that have been do done around the copper IUD that measures tissue levels. All of the testing that they have done in all of the human-based studies have been blood-based. They do blood work. So of course they're not finding the toxicity because the toxicity isn't in the blood. Wow. Okay, so what about um, postpartum women? What do they need to know? And P.S. listeners, postpartum depression is impacted by heightened levels of copper. So don't think you're in the clear, you know, after your baby is born. The thing, the interesting thing about that, I wonder, and I, I actually talk about this because I have a 90-day healing program, um, video program on my website and when I talk about kind of giving birth and all this stuff I, I actually put the idea out there I do wonder if postpartum depression would even exist if we would pay attention to the mineral levels in a postpartum woman um, just because it has such the, the symptoms are so in line with a copper toxicity the 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 um, emotional symptoms specifically the depression the anxiety the on like the the fears all of that it, it is textbook copper toxicity um, and also the thing about the thing about uh, pregnancy is that when you're pregnant because your body is like kind of hoarding away resources to grow that that baby it doesn't it doesn't actually release any minerals through your pregnancy. It retains everything and, and stores it. So even if you are borderline copper toxic, when you go in to be impregnant, you can come out of pregnancy being copper toxic. So, and I wonder, like, I really, really wish there was a study and I would just love to dig into this data if, if this was done of how many women, and is it really just copper toxicity, post, postpartum depression that we're dealing with? Um, so if you are, potentially I mean, again just get tested I mean it's a hair test they just cut some of your hair off of your head and send it out like it's not invasive it's not super expensive and it's totally worth it at the end of the day um, it is possible to be copper toxic and have a safe and pleasant pre during and post pregnancy um, there is one specialist that we're in this world that works with pregnant women with CT. So again, if you think you're copper toxic, like just reach out and I can connect you with him and he can help guide you to make sure that you're taking the, the right nutrients and you're going to take care of yourself so that you don't fall down the, um, the postpartum depression kind of hole at the end, end of, of your birth. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, and so you had mentioned the the detox from CT. What does that look like? 
long and painful. <laughs> no, I'm going to scare people right now. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, a lot of women actually don't finish their detox um, because it is so difficult. Because when the, when the metal gets stored in your body, if you think about it, it's kind of like it's wrapped up. Yes, it's having an effect on your adrenal glands, it's affecting all of your hormones. When your cycle kicks on, you can get pulled into that CT loop that we were talking about of um, oxidative stress and, and your body just having all of those symptoms and those adverse reactions. But when it starts getting pulled out, the effect that the copper has on the pathways and the neurotransmitters in your brain, and then all of the damage that it does in your body, because it becomes that free radical, like we were talking about earlier, those little hulks that get into your body and just start destroying everything um, and causing all of the oxidative stress and that, and, uh, that inflammation. So that, that is concentrated what happens in a copper dump. And it happens in about a 72 hour period. Well, it could be 24 to 72 hours. So you get your liver strong is kind of the first step get your body strong, you get all the irritants out, you're eating healthy, you're supporting your liver, everything's looking really good. Then you introduce um, zinc, which is an antagonist to uh, copper. And I, you do not do this at home by yourself. You need to be working with a practitioner because the levels of zinc, even like 10 milligrams of zinc can send someone over the deep end if you have a bad enough toxicity in you. So definitely before, like, don't just like take these words and follow them. Please work with a, a practitioner on this. Um, so what happens is your body gets strong and it gets that strength built up and then it pulls that copper out of storage and it becomes a free radical and it go, it's in your blood at this point. And this is when it's dumping. And then it will go into the liver to be processed out. And this is where we get a lot of the insomnia, the racing mind, the paranoia, the, um, the anxiety attacks and the depression. This is where we see this because it has such an, a, an effect on the brain as it's coming out. Um, then as it comes out, you're going to have, you know, I had, so when I was sick for many years, I had carpal tunnel in my right hand. And um, one of the first, when I started my detox and I have my first two copper dumps, what happened for me was all along those joints, I got blisters as the metal, it, it was the metal coming out of my soft tissue and it was stored in there. And I haven't had a problem with the carpal tunnel since. And I mean, I was wearing wrist brace for a long time. thought it was because I was a waitress for years that, that I had kind of just worn my wrist away and everything. Um, so you're going to see the metal actually coming out. Um, some of the, the detox symptoms are you going to be tasting. So tasting metal because it's just it's just leaving the body in any way or in any area that it can um, and this will go on for about 24 hours to 72 hours um, a lot of people are not aware that they're having a copper dump as they're having it because um, it has such a psychological effect on you and then eventually you're gonna when it gets processed out and the liver does its duty and you're gonna have a lot of liver pain you will come out of that episode and become more back and start become more self-aware and that's usually when people look back and go oh okay i know why i was just freaking out i know why i was having a meltdown i know why i feel like the world ended and it really is night night and day like that like one minute can you can just be in like full-on meltdown mode and then the next minute you come out of it and you're like oh god my liver hurts what just happened? Like it's, it's really, it's intense. And um, I thought when I got into my detox, because it can take up to two years, depending upon how well you do a, a CT detox. I always thought like with copper dumps, 
I thought the more you do it kind of like the better you would get at it or the easier that you would get it would get or you know just because you've been through it you might know but it does not work like that like the copper dumps that you have on day one are going to be same is exactly the same as the copper dumps that you have on the very last day it's going to affect you in the same exact way um and this is you know it's interesting because I get a lot of women that email me for support because I'm like an open book and I, I want to be here for everyone because I don't want any woman to suffer through this illness alone. And I can automatically always tell when an email comes in and I know that that person is, I can tell that they're in the middle of a copper dump and being able to help them go through that and get to the other end. And then, then they'll realize, you know, I usually will get a follow-up email a couple days later. That's like a thank you. Like, Oh, Hey, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm just like, honey, trust me. I know I've been there. <laughs> like I've been there. <laughs> um, but it's, it's again, and I always try to tell these women and reassure them it's temporary. And this means that you're healing. And it's such like a catch me too, because you have to get worse before you get better. I mean, I had a month where I could not get out of bed, like could not physically get out of bed. And it was, it was demoralizing and it was really, really hard and it was scary. It was terrifying. And you think you're never going to come out of it. You're never going to get better. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's one of the it is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. And I know a lot of women that are, that are going through it, that it's very difficult for them too. But that being said, depending upon how bad your copper toxicity could be, couldn't be that bad. I'm kind of giving you the worst case scenario. I mean, I had it for 32 years. There was a hell of a lot of copper built up in my body. Other women, you know, if you had your IUD for a year or two, it might not be that harsh. Um, might be easier for you. You might be able to ease into the detox and your copper dumps might be a lighter experience. Um, it's all healing is individual. It's never the same. Just like everything else in life. I mean, we talk about that all the time on this podcast, you know, your pregnancy, the way you got pregnant, the things that you go through during your birth, your postpartum, your child, your relationship, how they change, like all of it's so different. Everything. Yeah. It's all on a spectrum. Kirby, if people wanted to get, um, you know, in touch with you and connect with you, if they were someone who could really use your words, you know, and they wanted to email you, where can all of these people find you? Um, so if people want to reach me, I've got some resources on my website. I have a free seven day email detox protocol, copper toxicity support week of emails, um, that people can sign up. So my website's kirbyamore.com. I also have a 90 day video healing program called copper toxic survival that people can sign up for. Um, and then we're also rallying, rallying the troops right now. So I have um, a campaign called Not In My Pussy, and it, this is the campaign I was talking about. And yes, it is very vulgar and very forward, and that is the point of it, because we are taking power back. And um, this campaign, it's, it's interesting, the conversations that it's started, <laughs> believe it or not, because of the labeling. But um, we have a goal to get a million women to pledge to remove their IUDs in the next five years. And really this is, it's, it's turning into a community. So it's called the um, Copper Toxic Tribe. And it's just bringing a bunch of women who are experiencing the same issues together to support one another, to communicate with each other. Um, just know that you're not alone and you're not crazy when, you know, all these things are happening to your body and, and there's a lot of the world is telling you that it's not related to your IUD. So you can hop up on the website, you can sign the pledge, you can send a message in with your pledge to all the other women that are, that are um, going through it too. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm always available. 
I get emails all the time. I might not respond to everything right away, but I do get back to every single email and answer every single question because um, my personal goal in life right now is to make sure that no woman suffers alone ever with this illness. I love it. There you go, villagers. Another tribe for you to join. If this is something that really resonates with you, please remember that you're the only one that really knows your body. You know your body the best. Advocate for yourself and find a provider that will listen to you and take you seriously when you say something isn't right with your body. I cannot encourage you to do this enough. Truly, if you do nothing else for yourself, please just do this. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.